Olivia had, I, I'm Olivia's dad, so I notice things when she's speaking. And this morning, she had some prophetic words as she was introducing the worship this morning. She had some prophetic utterance. And what, what I believe she was doing, um, because I've had conversations with her, she will see something, and then she starts to describe what she's seeing. And this morning, the word that she saw was that you're on the verge of breakthrough. Did anybody, does anybody remember that? You're on the verge of a breakthrough. You're on the cusp of breakthrough. There's, there's a real somber presence of God here. I'm kind of enjoying it because he's real serious right now. And, and if you know me, I like to laugh. I like to p play games. I like to join. But right now, I believe there's some real serious things happening in the spirit realm. I'm going to preach, but before I preach, I want to just, I want to capitalize on what God has spoken and what God said. And, and then, Justin, you had, can you pass me what you had? Because I'm going to speak some words, and I want to give you the opportunity to agree with those words, receive them, and see what God has for you. So Olivia, I believe she spoke prophetically when she says you're on the cusp. And how do you get to that breakthrough? Praise. 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 Don't ever stop praising God. Don't ever stop, no matter what the situation is, no matter what the circumstances, don't stop because of what I'm going through, it does not warrant me praising God. No, what you're going through actually requires you to praise God. Because you can't get through it on your own. You need him. And so when you praise him, what happens is he shows up to the battle. And so Justin had written down these words. I, I love it that our, our young people, actually they're not young people, they're young adults, they're adults. I know Winona and I keep telling ourselves. They're adults. Um, but I love seeing them growing in the prophetic, growing in the supernatural. I want to encourage you to encourage your children to do that because sometimes children have less hang-ups than we do. Have you, have you ever noticed that a child can accept something? And they'll walk home and they'll say, yeah, that guy said he's going to do this for me. And you go, oh, that will never happen. But a child doesn't have the hang-ups we've got. So I love seeing our young adults. And Justin wrote these words down. And he says, praise breaks through walls. And this here is for somebody, if not a number of you this morning. I saw concrete walls breaking and collapsing into pieces. Huh, I find that interesting. Concrete walls. Grab this, brother. God told me that strongholds and walls, the things that were holding you back and stopping you, are being broken in praise. That which once stopped you is being toppled during praise. Amen? I want to I give you that word because I believe God is on the verge. Actually, God's not on the verge. You're on the verge. God's already done it. But I believe there's some of you, 
that are pushing at the limits, pushing at that, climbing that mountain, getting to that edge, getting to that wall. And I believe that breakthrough. Don't stop praising God. Hallelujah. John 8, can you turn in your Bibles? I want to continue. I, I don't know about you, but I have been enjoying studying and just looking at these conversations with Jesus. And for me, it's, I've just been sitting on these passages and meditating on them for a week or two weeks. And what's really funny is I was supposed to preach this passage two weeks ago. And the service was interrupted. And the service went in a different direction. And one of the aspects of this was a conversation that Jesus has that was interrupted. And I thought that was kind of funny because I, I wrote down, actually, if you, were to, if you were to look at my notes, the first three things, I, I had the text, and then I wrote conversation interrupted, life interrupted. And I had all these notes... And I got in this morning, and I've, I've been meditating on this passage for the last couple of weeks, knowing that I believe this is what God is speaking. And as I'm meditating on it, God gives me a whole nother download. So I've got, like, thoughts about this passage, and I want to take a look at this passage from a different perspective. It's a passage that we're all very familiar with. If we've gone to Sunday school, we've probably heard it. We've, I, I know I've heard it preached many times, and it's about the woman caught in adultery. And it's John 8, verses 1 to 12, and I'd like to read this passage, and then I just want to take a few moments, and I want to show you some things about Jesus. Because as I've been going through these stories and these uh, conversations that Jesus has, it is just, my, my mind has just gone, Phew. and what I used to think about how Jesus operated, as I see him in these conversations, I'm just getting a fresh love for my Savior. A fresh love for someone who cares for me, who loves me. And as I'm sharing these, my hope and my prayer is that you will get a new vision, a new picture of Jesus. Because I believe when we understand who Jesus is, what he has done for us, that will affect us and it will affect others. And there's a world outside these walls that we see the rest of the week that is in desperate, dire need of a Savior. And it's not you, it's not me, it's Jesus. And as I've been studying this and going through these passages, I've just been, I've been overwhelmed by his goodness and I've been blown away by how he operates and how he functions. So this morning, I, I want to read this passage, and then we're going to spend a few moments just going over some thoughts that God has given me. So John 8, verses 1 to 12. And they went each one to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. 
The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the, in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his fingers on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was a left alone with this woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and he said to him, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? In one passage he says, Where are your accusers? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. In verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, and he's back talking to the people in the, the temple. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Heavenly Father, I ask that our hearts would receive, that our ears would be open, that our minds would grasp what you are saying this morning. And I ask God that you would quicken me, Holy Spirit, with your thoughts, with your words, and that I would be your instrument, your vessel today to bring you glory and to bring you honor. Amen. This is an interesting passage. We've got a few things here, and, and, and I want to deal with the setting. I want to deal with the situation. I want to deal with the standard. And I want to deal with the solution. The setting is they're in the temple. Jesus is having this conversation, and the temple back then was very much a central place. Today we have church mentality, which is once a week, and don't I dare go past two hours or an hour and a half. But back then, they would go on a regular basis to the temple. There was community in the temple. There was relationship, there was family, there was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, everybody, all the religious people. But there was, there was this aspect of community where the temple was more central than it was periphery. In today's world, the temple or church is very much a convenience or, should I say, an inconvenience. I am so excited to see you here on a long weekend. I, I, I want to thank you for coming. Now, I know life is busy, and I take Sundays off. I've gone on holidays, so I understand that. I'm not upset about that. 
But sometimes we just throw church like, well, I've had a busy week, so the first thing to go is church Sunday morning. And you say, well, how could you think that? Because I've been there. I've been there. But this is the place that to me is the most important place to be. This is the place where Holy Spirit pours, God the Father pours, Jesus the Son pours into you. This is a place where you get charged, excited, grow. This is a place where you nurture. This is a place where we gather together and we hear words from God. If you don't come to church Sunday morning, you would have missed your opportunity for a breakthrough. Think about that. It's a breakthrough. If you didn't come today, you wouldn't have heard that. So all of you that are here today have heard the opportunity that the Holy Spirit is saying to you. There's an opportunity for breakthrough. So we have, in our culture, the church is different than there. But we have in our society, life. Everybody knows what life is all about. Life, life is not fair. Life doesn't always treat you the way things that you'd like to be treated. But we get busy in life, and, and Jesus was that sitting there having this conversation, and in the middle of his conversation, in a sacred place nonetheless, they didn't have Robert's rules of order. And here he's talking to them, and what do they do? They march this woman right into the front of them to make a spectacle of her and to test him. And by the way, what is very interesting is they brought a woman up. Where's the guy? Because according to the law, the woman and the man were guilty. So right off the bat, situation, the, the setting is very interesting. It's in life. If I could say to you the situation is just everyday life or normalcy of life and he's doing life and he's growing and he's learning and then he gets interrupted. Have you ever been put on the spot to made, be made a spectacle of? If you've been in high school, you have. High school behavior. I mean, that was, as we would refer, dirty pool. What were they doing? They were bringing this individual up in front of Jesus, but in front of all of them, and they wanted to test Jesus. And I'm amazed when, I, when I've been studying these passages and just take your time when you read the Bible. Let the Bible sink in, but also let the Bible pull things out of you. Let the Bible speak to you, but then also yourself answer the Bible. And as I'm going through this passage, I'm, I'm looking at it, and, and the woman is brought up. The situation is she's caught in an act that is, according to the law, a legal aspect is illegal and is worthy of punishment and rule.
don't have to put your hands up here. But have you ever been caught in something that's wrong? And people are looking at you and you're caught. Again, I think we're probably all guilty in some way, in some measure. Some of them sometimes are a little more obvious. But there's also some subtle things. Things that kind of fly under the radar. Attitudes. Behavior. And in, in Matthew, he says... If you're thinking it, it's like you've done it. But we always say, well, no, I didn't do it. See, my hands are clean. I never done it. But boy, boy, would I like to have done that. You didn't catch me in anything. And so this, this woman is caught. And she's actually guilty. She's guilty. If I put myself in that position where I had sinned, I'm guilty. There are things that God has worked on me and I've got no excuse. I'm guilty. Now, I love the way Jesus responds. And as I read these passages, I try to put myself in the position of Jesus, but I find myself too often in the conversation in the person other than Jesus. And in this sermon, I want you to jump around with me. And in this moment, I'd like you to think about how does Jesus respond to these things. You do not have to come to every fight that you're invited to. He was invited into something. You do not have to enter into every situation that you're asked to. And Jesus, he hears it, and he bends down, and he starts writing in the dirt. And I'm not going to make any spiritual application there because I really don't know what he wrote. But he wasn't paying attention to the guilt that they threw up on this person. And I want us to see how Jesus responds to this woman. I want you to see how Jesus responds to you and me. Because each one of us has been guilty. Each one of us has done something. Each one of us has been put there. And the accuser wants to shout at us, wants to make a display of it, wants to do something about it. And Jesus, how does he respond? First of all, he doesn't even pay attention. They interrupted his conversation. And he stoops down, he bends down. And he begins to write. And they keep badgering him. I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be watching so many of these spiritual DVDs. It's like, like he's going to have the library open and he's going to say, what one do you, you know, I'm interested to watch the flood. 
I, I can't wait to watch that. And, and it's not in high definition. It's in heavenly definition. Like, like I can't wait to watch that. Um, David and Goliath, one of my favorite characters. I can't wait to get to heaven and, and go into the heavenly theater and they play David and Goliath and they put me there and watch what happens and how my hero does this. And so when I get to heaven, I'm going to say, Lord, can I borrow that DVD? You know, I, I, he, may have, he may have like six or seven theater. I think seven because seven's the number of perfection. So he may have seven different theaters and he may say, now showing in heavenly definition this passage and, and this. And so that's the way I think. And time to him, he's not bound by time. So I'm, I'm assuming, you know, I, maybe I listened to Adventures in Odyssey too much as a, as a, not as a child, as a parent. But I, I may ask him if I could borrow that DVD and watch it. And he pays no attention. But I can just imagine the Pharisees, the scribes, the people, everybody wanting to pontificate and wanting to show themselves who they are, getting upset because this... And can you imagine the badgering that went on? Would you pay attention to me? You know, the kerfuffle, the, the angry thing. Like, Jesus just sits there and just starts. And, and there's a commotion around him. How do you handle things when there's a commotion around you? Do you become part of, do you become part of the whirlwind? Here's a thing to take from Jesus. So finally he said he figures okay the movie's got to keep playing I can't just have 2 hours of just them badgering. He stands up and he looks at him and he goes whoever's without sin you cast the first stone. So we've seen the setting. We've seen the situation. Now we see the standard. He looks up and he says, and, oh, I can't wait to watch this. You know, whoever's without sin, you throw the first stone. And then he goes back to writing on the ground. You don't have to get stuck and caught in the whirlwind. What you need to do is you need to learn how to be like Christ. Now, I'm not saying you get a plot of dirt and learn how to write things in the dirt. What I'm telling you to do is to say, become so much in tune with Jesus that the situation that arises and people who want to pull you into something and people who want to make that you are actually spending time with him and that you will actually have the perfect response in that moment. Because Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to say. When that moment comes, I'll give you what to speak. I've been caught in whirlwinds. And what I find when I'm caught in the whirlwind is I get a little frantic. And my hands start to flail. I'm like a child that's drowning in water. And you're just wanting to help them, but they're just like trying to grab. And I've been caught in those situations. And what I've found is I make poor decisions. 
I say the wrong thing. Oh, man, I've said the wrong thing so many times I can't remember. When I'm caught in that situation, my decision-making is very poor. But what I have found, and there has been a moment, a few moments, where I've actually been able to pull myself out and to center myself and to say, Jesus, and I've spent time with him, and I have found that that situation... (laughs) They get a life of their own. But all of a sudden, God gives me a thought. God gives me a word. And here he says, the solution, or the standard. The standard is, all of this happening, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. I remember Pastor Nelson preaching this a number of years ago, and he made one statement, and I've not forgotten it. And I keep thanking God for that statement. He said, the only one there that was perfect, the only one there that could legally pick up a stone and cause that person to be put to death was Jesus. And he didn't do that. That hit me like a ton of bricks. I heard this story. I've grown up in church. I could probably recite it to you in King James language. I, I've, I've heard it preached. But the one person that could sentence that individual said, I'm not going to do that. That's quite a high standard. That's quite a high standard. As I've thought about that standard in a number of occasions, it has shut me up pretty quick. Because when I start to want to say something, I think, oh, what would Jesus do? Now, I'm not saying to keep sinning, because Jesus answers that. Okay? But what you find with Christ is he is not one who condemns. And condemnation causes you to go into a pit with no hope. He is one who convicts. And conviction causes a turnaround. Condemnation is like getting beat up, beat up, beat up, beat up, beat up. No hope, no hope, no solution, no life, no, no answer. Just bang, bang. That's what the enemy does. But what we see here is we see that he sets a standard. Now we can go all into conversation about judging and not judging. and We all judge. We all judge. When something happens, we judge. So I'm, I'm not going to go there. What I want you to see is what I want you to see is how Jesus responds to this individual who's guilty. And what I'd like you to do is I would like you to consider how you would respond to somebody that you knew was guilty. How would you treat somebody 
who is not, a, not saved, and I will say that because there's no indication that she's saved, and if she's saved and living in this condition, God speaks to her and says something, but outside these walls, there are people who have made poor decisions. Inside these walls, there's people who've made poor decisions. He sets the standard. The one who could do it says, no, I won't do it. And after a while, he stops writing and he looks up to her and, and everybody's gone. And it was, sounds like it was a few people because it says it started from the oldest to the youngest. So I, I can't imagine that scene. All these proud people. Well, I've made mistakes one after another. So we have the setting we have the situation. We have the standard. I also want you to see the solution. Because Jesus is very progressive. As I've been studying these passages and these conversations, what I have found with Jesus is he does not leave people in the state that he finds them. He does not leave this woman in this state. He doesn't leave the 5,000 in the state of hunger. He doesn't leave the 4,000 in a state of hunger. He doesn't leave Lazarus dead in the tomb. He doesn't leave the woman at the well with five husbands that aren't her own and the sixth. I mean, what an indictment. He doesn't leave her where she's at. He doesn't leave the guy at the pool of Bethsaida where he's at. But every time Jesus confronts somebody, he takes them from where they are and he wants to bring them to where he will go with them. And Jesus does not want to sit with you in your situation. He wants to give you the standard and he wants to give you the solution. He is not a solution. He is the solution. And too many times we put him just as one other option. Option A doesn't work. Option B. And finally we get to option J for Jesus. Don't live life with so many options and then you finally get to him. He is the solution. And every one of these conversations that we've looked at, and I think we've looked at six or seven and we've got more to go to, every single one of them, Jesus is the solution. And that just baffles me because in a world that we live in, if we can get one fix, we're happy. He goes through situation after situation, after setting, after setting, after one incident, after another incident, every single one of them, he comes through and he is the solution. And this morning, no matter what your situation is, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the solution. And you might as well stop all the other stuff and get it right with him because he is the solution.
Forget plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. Get to Jesus. And I did my math. He's the 10th choice by some people. (laughs) Of course I did. The solution. The one who could pronounce a death sentence pronounces life. Think about that. I want to be like Christ. And I would rather pronounce life over somebody than pronounce death. The solution. And I believe this is a prophetic word because I believe we're going to have people who will come through these doors that aren't living right. We've had them. But they fall in love with Jesus. And they find somebody who forgives them of their sin. They find somebody who wants to take them where they are and then they make a mistake. Like I've never made one. Just don't talk to my wife or my kids. And the moment a mistake is made, we've got their burial plot picked out. Oh, I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to rip into them one side and down the other. And it's going to feel so good. Instead of pronouncing a death sentence, he pronounces life. Instead of me, and I will put me in here. I won't put you in there. I will put me in this situation. Instead of David making some death pronouncement, will I find the life and speak life to that person, to that situation? And what he's doing when he does that, when he gives the solution, he is showing a word called redemption. And you say, well, she didn't get saved. What Jesus did there was he showed her redemption. He showed her what death and life looked like. He showed her the situation that she was in and the situation that he has And I believe from this account that he gave her a way of salvation. And when he says, don't go and sin no more, what he was doing was he was giving her life. I want to see solid rock grow. I do. But I suspect there will be a lot of people coming in here that will not be perfect. And if you're really honest, you look around and you're probably within arm's reach of one already. In fact, if you poke yourself in the nose, you're guilty. And I want Solid Rock to be known as a place that speaks life. Because I have found in these situations that the person that Jesus gave life to kept living. They were grateful. 
They were free. They weren't condemned. And you say, well, what about salvation? You know, sometimes salvation is a process. Sometimes salvation is immediate. Yes, I see that. But there's also some things that happen as people get experience and understand. If nobody gets a, our, we need to give people a picture of who Jesus is. And Jesus is the only way. I checked. My name's in the Bible, but it's about beating up Goliath. It's not about providing salvation. Jesus is the only way. And some of you maybe don't have your name in this book the way I do, but mine only goes so far. <laughs> it's B.C., before Christ. But I believe we're on the verge of a breakthrough as a church. And the last thing I want to do is see a person who is saved by grace, <laughs> wrecked by David. But I want to see somebody who's saved by grace, given life by Jesus. And I have a part to play in that. Man, I'm getting... Is this a little heavy? I, I, I don't want to be heavy, but I want to be real. And I think sometimes, I've, I've grown up in church. I'm 50 years old. I grew up sleeping under the pews. I threw up once in church. I was there a lot. Back then, we had Sunday night and Wednesday night. And every once in a while, prayer meetings. I spent a lot of time in church. And can I tell you, I'm not happy that it's the same people every Sunday that come. There's a world out there that's going to hell. And I'm righteous. And I pontificate. And I puff my chest. And I point my finger. And I declare a death sentence instead of speaking life and saying, he's the way. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to convict you. He's here to give you the solution. And I've grown up, and I'm not casting blame. I'm growing up, and I believe in many ways that's been a church culture and a church mindset. But the more I look at Jesus, the more I'm blown away by his love for humanity. And he loves me enough that though I make a mess... And I sometimes put myself in there myself. I sometimes do the stupidest things. And what does he do? He says, David, don't keep sinning. Here's the way of life. Can you imagine how freeing that is to somebody who struggles with things? Don't, don't keep, don't stay there. Move. But as you move, you're moving towards Jesus. And what you see in all these situations, you read John, you read every account in John, and you will find that Jesus progresses them forward. 
He doesn't take them back. He moves them forward. Every situation. And I've just been reading John. I, don't, I haven't gone through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I would par- pretty much tell you that Jesus is one who will move you, take you from that mess, and bring you to his hope. And some of you here today may find yourself in this situation. Some of you may be the people that will be speaking life. I don't know. Some of us might be in both situations. We can be. We have multiple personalities. We might as well. Sometimes we're here and sometimes we're here. That was funny. It's Jesus. The setting, the situation the standard, and the solution. I read verse 12 in there because I believe when I see this, I believe that's part of the narrative of the story. And what he does is after this whole scene is finished, And he sends the woman away and he says, don't go sin anymore. He gets back to the people. And he says, I'm the light of the world. And I believe what he did was how he handled that situation revealed how he's the light of the world. So I would suggest to you that we don't divide it after verse 11, but you take verse 12 in the context of him sharing in the temple, he's interrupted, and then he gets back to sharing, and what he does is he takes that information and he just says, you know what, guys? I'm the light of the world, and if you follow after me, you will experience the light of life. And I am blown away how many times I've seen that word life in John. Jesus is all about life. As I conclude... I want to give you an opportunity to experience Jesus like you've never experienced him before. I've been trying to introduce you to Jesus and and I have been blown away by the goodness of my Savior. And this morning, if there's sin, sin separates you from God. If there's something that's separating you from God, I want to pray for you. But I'm also going to give you this instruction don't stay there. He's not condemning you. I want to pray with you life, and then I want to tell you to move forward. And I would be remiss as a pastor preaching about the goodness of Jesus that I don't give you an opportunity right now to experience that. So I'd like you to close your eyes. I'd like every head bowed Boy, I've heard that many times growing up in church. It's time for some introspection.
And my first question to you is, if you don't know Jesus, the one who is the light of the world, who wants to give you the light of life, if you don't know him, would you be brave enough to raise your hand so that I can just pray for you? I don't want to give anybody an opportunity to miss. My second question is, if you found yourself in the situation that maybe you've made some mistakes and you feel you're guilty, I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said. He looked up and he said, who's here that condemns you? Have they left? And she said, yes, they have. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to say what Jesus says. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. If that's one of you, you can grab that right now as yours. And read that passage and follow what Jesus says in that passage. I'm just going to pray for everybody and then we're close. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a father who loves your children and everything you do comes out of love. And I pray this morning for everyone here that we would be touched by your grace. Whatever the setting is, whatever the situation is, Lord, that we would see your standard, your style, your method, and your solution. And that we would walk in that solution. That we would turn, as the word repent means, to change the way we think. That we wouldn't think the same way, but we would change our thinking, change our direction, and be walking in how you have called us. Be with everyone this week, Lord. Give an amazing week. Be with all the parents, some that are excited and some that are sad as their children go to school. Be with them. Strengthen them. And may they have an amazing week. In your precious name, amen. God bless you.